Nearly 40 years ago, as a young sports writer in South Florida, I covered a black high school quarterback named Derek Crudup. Like Ravens quarterback Lamar Jackson, Derek was a dynamic athlete, one of the best high school quarterbacks I've ever seen. If you had told me back then that Derek would never start a game as a college quarterback, I wouldn't have believed it. But that's exactly what happened. One day during his sophomore year, he called me from the University of Florida and told me he had won the spring competition to be the Gators' starting quarterback. But a few weeks later, Derek told me that some boosters at Florida weren't quite ready to see a black quarterback starting in the early 1980s. He was no longer going to be the starter. Countless black quarterbacks have encountered similar roadblocks during football's history, denied the opportunity to play the game's most glamorous and demanding position. When he wasn't named the starter at Florida, Derek was deeply disappointed and his trust in the program was broken. He transferred to Oklahoma, and now Derek's focus changed from playing quarterback to making it to the NFL any way he could. He switched from quarterback to safety, and he was good enough to start for a national championship team. He eventually made it to the NFL for a couple of seasons, and to his credit, he did it playing his second best position. Six years ago, Derek met Lamar Jackson by chance at a banquet in South Florida when Jackson was honored as a South Florida High School Player of the Year. Derek will never know how his career would have played out if he had remained a quarterback. But when he turns on the television in South Florida and watches Lamar Jackson play quarterback for the Ravens, Derek Crudup is smiling. Welcome to Black in the NFL. I'm your host, Clifton Brown. Today's episode is Pretty Good for a Running Back. My guests are Lamar Jackson, Hall of Fame quarterback Warren Moon, Lamar Jackson's personal quarterback coach Joshua Harris, and Pittsburgh Steelers backup quarterback Joshua Dobbs. We'll also hear from Patrick Mahomes of the Kansas City Chiefs, who was good enough to answer a question from me during a recent press conference. Black quarterbacks have faced an uphill battle during the history of football, sometimes told they lack the leadership, intelligence, and other attributes to play the position effectively at the game's highest level. However, the success of current black quarterbacks like Jackson, Mahomes, Watson, Russell Wilson, Dak Prescott, and others is dismissing that narrative, hopefully for good. Ravens Executive Vice President Ozzie Newsom the first black general manager in NFL history, talked about the impact of today's black quarterbacks when he was the subject of Episode 7 of Black in the NFL. Newsom drafted Lamar in the first round of his final draft as general manager. I have to ask you about Lamar, especially since he was a part of your, of your last draft. Uh, there have been so many barriers for black quarterbacks to overcome NFL history how proud are you of what he's been able to do so quickly in his career, especially when he entered the league with some doubters about what he could do? The credit goes to Lamar, the person. Lamar's been a quarterback his whole career. Uh, I think he changed high school because they wanted to change his position. Mm -hmm. He's a very humble person. He has a unique way of leading, and he has some God-gifted talent, you know, and he knows how to utilize that talent out on the field. To me, it goes back to a, a young guy 
that I played against from the University of Tennessee by the name of Condridge Holloway, okay. who ended up having to, you know, uh, his most of his career was up in Canada. But having played against him when he was at the University of Tennessee and now at the University of Alabama, I saw the impact that a guy that could have not only with his brain, with his arm, but also with his feet. And uh, I used to talk with Steve McNair when we had him, and he would always say, hey, you know what? If they play all that man coverage, I'm going to get you three or four first downs with my feet. Right. So, you know, that, that's where our game has, has evolved to. I never thought we would get to that point, but because what's coming out of college right now, a guy like Lamar, a guy like Deshaun Watson, Patrick Mahomes, and you can just go and then the Jalen Hurst, Murray, those are the guys that are playing in college football and are having success. And so that is the reason why they're ending up coming on our level having success. We'll hear from Lamar shortly, but my first guest is Warren Moon, the only black quarterback in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Moon spent his first six professional seasons in the Canadian Football League, where he won five Grey Cup championships. Despite his dominance in Canada, there were still people skeptical of Moon's ability when he signed his first NFL contract with the Houston Oilers in 1984. Moon erased all doubt during his 17-year NFL career, passing for almost 50,000 yards. Moon is an important figure in NFL history, a link between black quarterbacks of the past who were denied opportunity and today's quarterbacks who still seek him out for advice. He had a great college career at the University of Washington, but headed to the CFL when no NFL team selected him in the 1978 draft, even though he was the MVP of the Rose Bowl just a few months before the draft. How early did you realize that being black was going to make it harder for you to convince some people that you should play quarterback? Well, I kind of realized that when I first started playing back in Pop Warner football as early as 11 years old that I followed the NFL, I followed college football, and it was just a position you just didn't see a lot of people that look like me at, um, especially in the professional ranks. You know, I, I grew up in Los Angeles. Roman Gabriel was the quarterback at that time who was an Indian. So I knew as a minority, maybe there was a chance for me because he was minority. But um, you looked around college football and there was a lot of African-Americans playing quarterback, but they were running the wishbone. They were running the veer. Uh, they weren't passing quarterbacks. So those guys, you never saw them go into the NFL. And the ones that I think did have a chance to go to the NFL ended up going to Canada, like a Jimmy Jones or a Condridge Holloway or Chuck Ealy. Mm -hmm. All those guys ended up north of the border. So I knew it was going to be difficult for me playing that position uh, when I first took it over, but it was still a position that I loved playing. I, I knew I was good at it. And I was going to continue to keep playing at. And it is hopefully that if my opportunity ever came, I'd be ready. Do you remember the first time anyone suggested you play a different position? Yeah, when I went to high school, when I first went into high school, I was su suggested to move positions. But I, that was something I was not going to do. And to the point where I was the third string freshman quarterback, uh, the guy just did not want to play me a quarterback. He wanted to play me anywhere else. but. The only time he put me in the game is when we were way behind and, and we had this special spread formation where I could just throw the ball all over the place to uh, to try and get back into the football game. But uh, he was not going to let me play uh, as a starter. And then I wasn't even the backup. And 
But again, he wanted to use my arm talent uh, at the end of ball games if we didn't have a chance to win. Now, after your great career at Washington, you know, win the Rose Bowl, you're ready to enter the NFL. At that point in time, how many teams did you think feared having a black quarterback in the NFL? Well, there wasn't very many in the league at that time. I think Vince Evans was in the league at that time. Uh, Doug Williams was coming out in the draft with me, and he was a top-rated quarterback in the draft, but he didn't go until, I think, the 13th pick or something like that to Tampa Bay to where John McKay was the coach there, and he was used to having African-American quarterbacks at USC. So if John McKay wouldn't have drafted Doug at 13, who knows where he would have failed to. So, again, I knew it wasn't a lot of opportunities for me, but I also felt like I at least deserved an opportunity to get a chance to play um, quarterback in the NFL just because of what I had done in college. You didn't get drafted at all. Just tell me about that draft and then how you ultimately end up making the decision to go to the CFL. Well, you know, I had an uh, an attorney, an agent, uh, Lee Steinberg at that time, and he did all of his due diligence around the league with all the connections that he had through scouting, through general managers, through coaches. And the feeling was that I wasn't, if I was going to get drafted as a quarterback, it was going to be way down the line, or a lot of teams were suggesting maybe I change positions to a defensive back or wide receiver. So that came up again. And um, I was, I was uh, definitely opposed to that. I felt like, you know, I was the the Pac-8 player of the year that year. Uh, I was the Rose Bowl's MVP. I had a you know a really good college season, and there was no reason why I shouldn't get a chance to play quarterback, and, and I felt like I could play it. Now, there were people that said I didn't come out of a, a, a strict drop-back passing offense. Well, I, could, I couldn't help the offense that I was in. I was in the offense that gave us the best chance to win, but I also knew I could throw the football if given the opportunity. After going through all the pros and cons, of whether I should stay or leave because the Canadian Football League came uh, to my door and and was offering me a great opportunity to come up there. And they were going to pay me the money equivalent of about a second round draft pick. They were going to give me a chance to play quarterback. And I was going to a really good organization. So I weighed all of the the obstacles and uh, I felt like Canada was my best option to be able to continue to keep playing quarterback. So, So that's what I did. And that's why I went to the CFL as opposed to you know, wanting to realize my dream of being drafted on draft day like every other college player that plays college football. Now, did starting your career that way put any kind of chip on your shoulder during your career? Well, I, I had a chip on my shoulder from the time I was in high school. So that, that chip just it, it continued to grow and, and became more more like a boulder by the time I got to uh, the point where I was going to go to the Canadian Football League. Um you know, I I loved that I had an opportunity to play pro ball. I loved that I had an opportunity to continue to play quarterback, but I hated the fact that I had to leave my own country to go do it. I hated the fact that my own country didn't realize that I had the ability to play the position. So there was bitterness on top of uh, loving the opportunity to just continue to keep playing a game that I loved. Now, you spent six years in the CFL and won five Grey Cups. Why do you think it took that long for you to get back to the NFL? Well, one of the reasons I was under contract and I ended up signing a a second contract up there because I really enjoyed playing up there. I enjoyed uh, not feeling the, um, the pressure of, you know, what, what the fans had to say, because I dealt with a lot of that in college when I first got to the university of Washington, 
the, the name calling, the booing, all those things that went along with it. In Canada, I never experienced any of that. Um, you, you got booed when you were on the road because you're the, you're the road team. <laughs> but I didn't get booed individually because of my position and because of uh, my skin color. So right. I enjoyed it. And we were winning. We were winning championships. And winning really solves a lot of problems when you're, when you're playing football, if you're being paid well and, and winning games. But then it got to a point where I had so much success up there so early and I still had this gnawing in my stomach that can I really play with the best players in the world in the NFL? And, and that was a, a curiosity of mine. And I wanted to see if, if I was actually good enough to play in the NFL, even though people had told me I couldn't. So that was one of the reasons why I decided to come back. So I was under contract, but I um, was able to ne- negotiate myself out of my last year of my contract. And that's why I was able to get free after the sixth year. Now, there were mobile white quarterbacks in, in the past, like Fran Target and Steve Young, who had success. Do you think they were judged differently than some mobile black quarterbacks of, of, of past years or not? Oh, no question about it. I, I don't think mobility had anything to do with it. It was all about what was between your ears uh, um, and then what your what your skin color looked like. Uh, we were always told that we uh, didn't have the the intelligence. Uh, we didn't have the ability to, to um, play under pressure. Uh, we, and then you you were going to be asked to be the face of a franchise. And most franchises that were owned by white owners didn't want an African-American being the, the face, the representative of their franchise. So uh, those were the reasons why we had such a tough time playing the position. It had nothing to do with mobility or or ability of any kind. Now, when you first got back to the NFL with Houston, how much pressure did you feel to succeed, not only for yourself, but for black quarterbacks in general? I, I did feel pressure. I won't tell you that I, I didn't because I was the highest paid player in the league at that time. I'm going to an organization that's basically in the South, in Texas. It never had an African-American quarterback before. They were 2-14 and 14 the year before I got there, so not a very good football team. So I knew that it was going to be an uphill battle trying to turn this this franchise around. But I was up to the task because when I went to the University of Washington, they were a two and nine team when I went there to play. And we turned that around and became Rose Bowl champions. So I felt like we could do the same thing in Houston, but I knew it was going to be a tough journey. Today, the atmosphere is a lot different. We've got a number of black quarterbacks excelling in the NFL. Do you think we finally reached a point where black quarterbacks are being judged the same and have the same opportunity to succeed as white quarterbacks? I think initially African-American quarterbacks today are getting a much more, um, you know, fair opportunity to compete and get opportunities. And you see that throughout the league and you see that by the way, these guys are being uh, paid by the way they're being endorsed, how many are in the league uh, at this particular time, not only starters, but also backups and guys who they're developing for the future. So I think it's much better there, but there's still teams that, that still judge guys the same way. There's still society that still judges African-American quarterbacks the same way, especially in the media and some in scouting and things like that. So uh, when you have a, a guy like Lamar Jackson, who's already won an MVP, but you have uh, some very smart personnel people that said when he was coming out of college that he should be a wide receiver or change positions that tells you that there's still some of that thinking so it's not totally gone away and and I don't think it ever will go away but we just have to keep proving ourselves and keep going out and playing and 
the, the great thing is we're getting the opportunities to do that. And as long as we're getting the opportunities, now it's on our shoulders to make things happen. You uh, mentioned Lamar. And here in Baltimore, the Ravens have, have tailored their offense to accentuate his strengths. Why don't you think more teams are willing to do that when they draft a quarterback? And also, do you think if more teams have been willing to do that back in your era, we would have seen more black quarterbacks? Well, I do think if, the, if more teams would have done that back in the day, you would have saw more black quarterbacks be successful. But I think teams today are now smart enough to see that they need to do what these young guys have been doing, not only in college, but they've been doing them as far back as junior high school and high school, running these RPO offenses, uh, running these read options, all these different things that you're seeing in the NFL now. It's all been adapted because they saw these kids have success with it in college and they're making making the adjustments. So they're finally doing the right thing, which is taking advantage of what your best player, who is usually your quarterback, can do and make that offense geared around what his strengths are. And you're seeing a lot of teams around the National Football League do that now. You've already seen Lamar. We have seen him able to silence a lot of his critics. If his success continues, what effect could you see him having on the game of football, not just on the Ravens? Well, he's he's already had an effect on football just by the way he's able to play. But there's not a lot of Lamar Jacksons walking around this. <laughs> That's the problem. If if you find another one, yeah, you you take your offense and you adapt it to what he can do. But there's not a lot of those guys walking around. He is a very very special human being, a very special athlete. And and the Baltimore Ravens were smart enough to change what they were doing and gear their whole offense around what he's doing. Now, if you find another guy like him. You should be smart enough to do whatever it takes to get the best out of them. Do you see this progress that we're seeing a few more black backup quarterbacks like RG3, like Geno Smith, Tyrod Taylor, who aren't just going from being starters to being out of the league? Yeah, I, I love that. I love the fact not only that you have the top you know guys in the league that are African-Americans starting, but it's really important that you, you can have African-Americans in those backup roles or in those developmental roles, as I talked about earlier, uh, where they might be the next guy up for an organization that they see, OK, maybe this guy needs a year or two under under our belt before he's really ready to play. Those are the types of situations I, I like even more because that really shows that an organization is committed to a guy even though he's not ready to play right now, it's easy to take a, a guy with great talent like a Patrick Mahomes or somebody like that and put them out there and let them play as a starter. But what about the guy who's not maybe ready to play right now, but you're going to put the time and effort and development time into him to get him ready to play, and he's African-American? That shows me a lot about that organization. You're the first black quarterback to reach the Hall of Fame, which obviously is going to secure your legacy for all time. What legacy do you hope you've left for black quarterbacks in the NFL? I think the biggest thing for me is that I never gave up on the position, that I continued to keep striving forward to try and play it and play it at a very high level, knowing that there was generations of young guys out there that were watching to see how well I did in order for them to get an opportunity. So the, one of the biggest things I'm uh, most proud of is I was able to help make change at this this most important position in team sports. Myself, Doug Williams, Randall Cunningham, we played kind of during the same time at a very high level. And I think because of the way we played and our accomplishments, 
are the reasons why that next generation of guys got an opportunity to play this position. That's something I'm very, very proud of, and I took that responsibility very, very seriously. During Moon's career, there were times when he was the only black quarterback starting in the league. Now that's far from the case. Mahomes is one of the NFL's brightest stars after leading the Chiefs to two straight Super Bowls. He won one, then lost one to the GOAT, Tom Brady. Mahomes is only the third black quarterback to win a Super Bowl, joining Doug Williams and Russell Wilson. And starting with the Ravens' 2013 win in Super Bowl 47 over Colin Kaepernick and the 49ers, six of the last nine Super Bowls have featured a black starting quarterback. As part of the young contingent of star black quarterbacks, Mahomes is proud that the position has become much more inclusive than it has been in the past. Patrick, I just want to know how much pride you take in being among a group like yourself, Lamar, uh, Deshaun, the guys where kids black and white now can look at you guys and see quarterbacks doing all different ways as opposed to back when your grandfather was rooting for Doug Williams and, you know, the, the, the numbers of black quarterbacks were few and far between. Yeah, I mean, you said it. I mean, exactly how you said it. Uh, it shows that no matter what your skill set is, what the color of your skin is, where you grew up at, you can go out there and be an NFL quarterback. You just have to work hard. Uh, you have to be per- you have to persevere through adversity. You have to make sure that you just go out there and be who you are every single day. And uh, if you do that, you have a chance of achieving your dreams no matter what that is. The emergence of black quarterbacks has been one of the biggest advancements when it comes to race in the NFL. And it's been accomplished by the work talent, and persistence of the players. Those players came together for a documentary on what it means to be a black quarterback in the NFL, and a four-minute segment aired during Super Bowl Sunday, a time slot testament to how much the league wants to trumpet this advancement. In a country in which race has taken center stage, the NFL chose to highlight that many of the game's biggest stars, playing the most prominent and challenging position, are black. For the National Football League, Patrick Mahomes, and a pretty good quarterback on the other side as well in Deshaun Watson. It's a new era. We got a lot of great quarterbacks, black quarterbacks in the league. Just for me to be one of those black quarterbacks to start as just God, you know, because it wasn't on at one point. I think it shows that, that times are changing, um, that no matter where you come from, what the color of your skin is, what your background is, that you can be whoever you want to be if you really go out there and and dedicate yourself to achieving your dream. Mahomes fires it for the end zone. Touchdown! When I was coming of age as as a football fan, you just never saw any black quarterbacks, almost to the point where you wonder, was there this secret memo that went out that said that black quarterbacks weren't a thing or, or black people could not play this position. Watching football, college football, I would see a bunch of black quarterbacks. But when it got time to the NFL, it was a handful and not a whole hand, maybe one or two fingers. And just watching that, it was mind boggling to see these great quarterbacks in college do their thing and then not given the opportunity in the NFL. They say art imitates life. Our sports are a form of art. Our sports also reflect our civilization, and they reflect our society. If a black person can't 
go drink at a certain water fountain, you think that they're going to let that person lead the team? Hell no. That wasn't going to happen at that point. Being able to think, being able to make quick decisions in pressurized times, questioning our intelligence, it was a stigma that uh, was set up not only about African-Americans in football playing quarterback, but just in general in life, it was just something that was societal. You know, let's look at Warren Moon. Warren Moon had to go to the Canadian Football League for the first five years of his professional career to get an opportunity to come play in the NFL. We're talking about his prime years as a quarterback being played in the CFL before given the opportunity to come here to the NFL. And then when he did, did he do a job? Randall Cunningham doing what he did. Look at that agility. That's a whole right there. It was step by step, a process that didn't happen overnight. But it's just like in baseball, you had your Jackie Robinsons. Well, Warren and them were like that for us. And they had a lot of pressure on them. We're celebrating today those that paved the way. There wouldn't be 10 now if there wasn't for the one or two that showed that we could do this. The ball comes your way, fly around and makes on him. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, looks right, touchdown, into the end zone. Throw to the end zone, touchdown! They throw, touchdown! Patrick Mahomes is a wizard. He's probably one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever come in the league. Unreal! Mahomes threw across his body on fourth down and nine for 48 yards. Patrick Mahomes gets $450 million. I love seeing Patrick Mahomes sign the biggest contract in NFL history. I love seeing these amazing, talented, great leaders get the opportunity to be paid what they're worth. Give me a call, Pat. I need a little, <laughs> I need a few bucks, dog. This year we had 10 stars. That, that's great in itself. When we get to the point that we stop asking the question, I think that's the most important thing. I don't feel any added pressure, um, but I do understand that I need to go out there and be the best Patrick Mahomes that I can be every single day, not only for myself, but for the people that come after me. To show that no matter what your skin tone is, that you can play this position and succeed at this position every single day. And I understand the people before me have done that to put me in this position. So I'm going to give everything that I have to maximize this opportunity for the people coming behind me. My next guest Steelers quarterback Joshua Dobbs is at a different stage of his career than Mahomes and Watson. Dobbs spent the 2020 season as the number three quarterback behind Ben Roethlisberger and Mason Rudolph. Dobbs participated in a groundbreaking black quarterback summit in the summer of 2019, the brainchild of Quincy Avery, who is Deshaun Watson's personal quarterback coach. Watson, Moon, Dobbs, Jalen Hurts of the Philadelphia Eagles, and Ohio State quarterback Justin Fields all participated in the summit as counselors during the weekend quarterback camp for kids around the country. Avery wanted kids to hear real talk from black quarterbacks who had made it to the NFL. With more college teams opening up their offenses and encouraging quarterbacks to use their mobility, 
more of the college game has morphed into the NFL. Instead of an assembly line of pocket passers entering the league, quarterbacks with a dual-threat skill set are being given the freedom to use their talents. When Moon spoke at the quarterback summit, he told kids to take advantage of the opportunities to play quarterback that didn't exist when he was their age. Dobbs was listening. He had an outstanding college career at Tennessee, and he wants to be a starting quarterback in the NFL. But unlike Moon, who had the door slammed in his face by the league for years, Dobbs is being developed by an NFL team even though he's not a starter. The Steelers also recently signed quarterback Dwayne Haskins, a young player who was released by the Washington football team, but who is getting a second chance after making mistakes on and off the field during his first two NFL seasons. That gives the Steelers two black quarterbacks who are number three and number four on the depth chart. That's something you didn't see 20 or 30 years ago. Let's talk to Dobbs, a bright young man who is using his NFL platform to give back to youngsters who want to follow in his footsteps. Can you remember uh, when you first started hearing stories about black quarterbacks back in the day being discouraged from playing the quarterback position? I don't, I don't know if there's a specific moment. I think just through the entirety of uh, playing football and crossing paths with, with various people, especially specifically black quarterbacks, you, you know, you see it. And I've experienced it myself um, growing up. You know, I think just at the position, of course, recently there's been such a jolt of energy put into the position by uh, black quarterbacks and you see it across the league. Um, but each of us have our own story growing up of, you know, kind of being discouraged, being asked to change position, uh, extra obstacles placed in front of us to get to where we wanted to get to. And then when you interact with guys that come before you, you know, of course, I got a chance to sit down with Warren Moon a couple off seasons ago. Um, being from Tennessee, um, I have a direct line with Andre Tolloway, the first African-American quarterback in the SEC, uh, Tony Robinson, who was a stud at the University of Tennessee. So throughout my college career, interacting with them, hearing their stories. So each of us have our own story. And I think the obstacles that we face, the roadblocks that were attempted to be put in our way, all helped us achieve our dreams and our goals and get to where we wanted to be in our careers. Now, can you describe uh, the Black Quarterback Summit that you participated in? I think it was the summer of 2019 with your quarterback, Quincy Avery, just to give an idea of what that was like and uh, what went on there. Yeah, so the um, Black Quarterback Summit was held here in Atlanta. So first, we started off just a conversation between me, Deshaun, Warren Moon, um, and EJ Manuel, which was really cool um, because EJ Manuel, of course, you know who Warren Moon is, me, Deshaun grew up both in the Atlanta area. And then EJ Manuel was my uh, counselor at the Elite 11 camp coming out of high school. Okay. So it was good to actually sit down with him outside of a competitive environment, hear his story, hear everything, his trials, his tribulations as well. Um, and then from there, you know, it was teaching and, and speaking with the campers, you know, the, the next generation of, of talented um, quarterbacks that, will come into college and into the NFL and, and set it on fire. Um, so to be able to share our stories with them, to inspire them, um, to show them, you know, the type of dedication and hard work. And at the end of the day, you know, everyone's going to have that first season direction. Everyone's going to have naysayers and doubters who 
don't believe that they are good enough to achieve their goals. And at the end of the day, you know, the opinions of others doesn't really matter if you're willing to put in the hard work, you're willing to put in the extra effort, you're willing to go the extra mile. And at the end of the day, if you're willing to outcompete whoever's placed in front of you, if you're able to do those things, then you're able to achieve goals in your dreams. Now, I've heard you talk about not taking the victim approach to being a black quarterback. Uh, what do you mean by that? Yeah, you know, I think a lot of times, you know, when you're placed in, you know, difficult situations, you know, some people, they go into their protective shell and then they take the victim side of it, where it saying, you know, oh, woe is me, oh, the world's against me, oh, looking for every, in my opinion, excuse not to excel. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, when you take the victim mentality, you know, you're not confident in your skills and abilities and you probably weren't prepared for the situation. And at the end of the day, you probably were the reason you didn't achieve your dreams and goals. But when you're able to confidently step on the field and know that when you step on the field, you're the best player out there. And whether you get two reps or whether you get a hundred reps in those reps, you're going to make the most of them and you're going to show the type of skill that you have, the type of quarterback you are and will be. And when you have that type of confidence level, then there's no victim approach. You're, you're, you're taking advantage of the opportunities in front of you. And when you do that, that's when you'll achieve, that's when you'll be successful. So I think that's my biggest you know, sentiment to young quarterbacks because the road's difficult. I mean, at the end of the day, when you get to the NFL, there's only, there's less than a hundred people in the world playing the quarterback position. So there's people who aren't black quarterbacks that have, have roadblocks in their way and that the journey is difficult. Yeah, your my journey might be a little bit more difficult than them, but if you take the victim side of it, you'll never achieve your dreams. When you attack it with confidence and you just attack the situation, then the ball's in your court. You had a 4.0 GPA and majored in aerospace engineering. So am I correct in assuming that no one ever told you you're not smart enough to play quarterback? You are correct in saying that, but one thing you might be surprised to hear is I, I did hear, you know, is he too smart to play quarterback? What, do, what does that mean? I don't, I don't know what that means. <laughs> I don't know how you could possibly be too smart to play the most intellectual game in all sports. You know, you can't control other people's opinions, no matter how uh, wild and preposterous they may be. Um, but you can't control how you show up, how you present yourself, and they, how you execute the QB position. Do you think guys like Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray, obviously guys who can run, but they're also having success at the NFL level, is changing the perception of what a quarterback has to be and how a quarterback has to play to win? I think so. You know, I think... I'm just seeing their game and how dynamic it is and how consistent it is. It's showing, you know, people there's 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 a, a different ways to, to cut the pie. You know, at the end of the day, I think a quarterback should be evaluated off of wins. That's the most important stat in football. You know, you can throw for a trillion yards, you can run for a trillion yards, but at the end of the day, you know, are you a competitor and are you winning football games? You know. You are winning football games. That's the only stat that needs to be evaluated. So I know there's various ways to play the position. And especially for me, being behind um, and learning from Big Ben, you know, that's been productive and learning how he sees the game and plays the game, you know? So 
there's various ways to play the position. And at the end of the day, let the player play. Put that position, put that player in a in an offense in a scheme that best suits their skills and abilities. And if they're successful and they're winning games, then keep finding ways to accentuate those traits. Now, you mentioned playing behind Big Ben. I know that you want to be a starting quarterback. All players do. Is the fact that we're seeing a few more black quarterbacks who aren't starting, who aren't star players, is that a sign of progress to you or not? I, th- I think so. And as you said, of course, I do want to be a starter. I know that time will come. Um, and I'm preparing for that moment. Um, but I, I, I do think so. You know, I think just to see like the diversity in the league, especially at the quarterback position is, is healthy. It's very healthy and it keeps the competition genuine. I think, um, no matter what color someone's skin is, what type of player they are, the best players should be on the team and best players should play. So I'm not saying teams need to, you know, seek out ways to have black quarterbacks for sympathy. Um, I think the best players should be on the team and, and given an opportunity to play at the end of the day. So seeing, you know, guys genuinely winning out competitions, uh, playing at a high level, um, no matter where they are in the depth chart, being prepared for their opportunity is, I think, is healthy. Because um, the showing here of the league is, is getting to where it should be a true competitor's league, where the best players play. You've been terrific. Is there anything else you want to say? Josh, about the journey of the black quarterback in the NFL, past, present, future, where you see the position headed and uh, the opportunities for a lot of kids who want to be in your shoes. Yeah, I, I think like the last thing I'll say is, you know, for that for the next generation, you know, at the end of the day, no matter what obstacles, roadblocks, discouragements, negative opinions, negativity, whatever it may be, no matter what put in front of you um, or thrown in your way, at the end of the day, you still write your own story. You still control your own destiny. And that comes through your, the hard work that you put in, that comes through the extra hours that you put in, that comes with the type of teammate that are, you are, that comes with the type of leader you are. At the end of the day, no matter at what level, you know, winners play. If you win football games, if you constantly show up and give your team the best opportunity to win games, whether you're playing JV on Thursdays, varsity on Fridays, or um, college football on Saturdays and eventually Sunday, then you, you'll you'll achieve your goals. You'll make it to where you want to be, and you'll be in the National Football League. So hopefully my story can serve as that. been thrown every type of obstacles. Hopefully other people's journey and stories that are currently successful in the league as well can be an inspiration to that. And I'm excited to see how the position continues to grow and um, where it goes from here. My next guest really needs no introduction. Lamar Jackson of the Baltimore Ravens. He is the youngest Heisman Trophy winner in history. And in his first full season as the Ravens starter, he became the youngest quarterback to win the MVP award. As the only quarterback in league history with two 1,000-yard rushing seasons, Jackson is changing the way success at the quarterback position is defined. Jackson hasn't won a Super Bowl yet, but he's 30-7 and during the regular season as a starter, and critics can no longer say he's never won a playoff game. He also led the league in touchdown passes in 2019, so while he still hopes to improve as a passer, he can already dominate games at times with his arm along with his legs. 
Many questioned Lamar's ability to become a star in the NFL when he entered the league. One of the reasons he almost fell out of the first round of the NFL draft. He hasn't forgotten that some people suggested he should switch to wide receiver in the NFL. Jackson said on the lounge, another one of our Baltimore Ravens podcasts, that it was a Chargers scout who told him he should run routes at the 2018 NFL Combine. Jackson rarely reacts to criticism, but after he began his MVP season by throwing five touchdown passes against the Miami Dolphins, Jackson sent a message to his critics when he said, quote, not bad for a running back, end quote. Let's hear from Lamar, talking about why playing quarterback became important to him at a young age. You played safety in peewee football as well as quarterback, but when did you decide the quarterback was the position you wanted to play moving forward? Uh, what was it, my third year in the league? Yeah, my third year playing um, SFYFL football, and I was training with um, my former um, first um, QB coach, Coach Peanut, Coach Van Warren, Mm-hmm. And you know, I was I was pretty much lazy out there. You know, I'm like, man, I want to go have fun, like play with my friends and stuff like that. But I was grinding, you know, like when I was nine years old at the time. And mm-hmm. you know, he he pulled me to the side. He was like, "What you gonna be? Like, you gonna waste um money?" Like he called my mom. He called her mom too, like just for, for respect, even though he's older. But he's mm-hmm. like, "You gonna waste my time and my time, or you gonna choose between QB or whatever else you want to do? Like, be you know any other position." I said, "I want to be a quarterback." But he said, "You better stop pouting and let's do it." And that's all she wrote right there. <laughs> Nine years old. <laughs> wow. Now, when did you start hearing stories about the hardships that black quarterbacks before you had faced with people wanting to hit, switch them positions and denying them opportunities to play quarterback? Pretty much when I started, you know, getting older and, you know, getting into football even more. Because, you know, when I first started off, I wasn't really, like, drawn into it. Like, I watch it and stuff like that. But I really didn't like watching it, to be honest with you. Like, sure. I was forced to watch it. Like, by my father, he's like, watch it, just watch it. This and that. I'm like, man, I don't want to watch it. But I go play it outside with no problem. So when I got older, I started, you know, realizing all the, um, you know, the changing of QBs, you know, when you get to the next level and stuff like that. And what was your reaction to that when you heard about this? Oh, I'm not changing my position. I'm, I'm going to be a, um, a quarterback. <laughs> That's all I was saying. <laughs> now, when you were choosing a college, Louisville told you you'd have a true shot to be their quarterback. How much did that play into your decision to go there? Pretty much all of it, you know, because I wanted to get a chance to play my freshman year. You know, I could have went to another school or anything like that and sat out a year, but I wanted to, you know, get started right away so I could show my talent for the professional level. And Coach Bob Pacino pretty much told my mom, you know, in my living room, like, you know, I'm going to give him an opportunity to play, but you just got to be dialed in, and that's what it was. Now, I know you were inspired by Michael Vick as a kid, watching what he could do on the field and also when you were playing Madden. How do you yeah. feel knowing that there are kids right now, black and white, looking at you the same way that you looked at Vic? Oh, man, that's pretty cool. You know, I just got to keep being a positive role model for those kids and let them know, you know, you can you can make it from any phase of life, any adversity, and, you know, just be strong, strong-minded. And don't ever believe in people telling you, you know, you can't do something. You know, just mind over matter. Never what they say. Mm-hmm. Now, even after winning the MVP, there's still critics mm-hmm. of your game. I know you're a positive person. Yeah. What's the one criticism of your game that you hear the most that bothers you? All of it. You know, it's just like, <laughs> it's just annoying. <laughs> it's annoying. You know, because at the end of the day, I feel, you know, the, the Ravens organization, you know, they done seen a lot of quarterbacks before me. And they wouldn't believe in me if they felt, you know, how these people feel. But it's all good. I see Michael Jordan had the same thing going with him in his career, Brian James and those guys. 
uh, it's just part of the game. You know, you're going you're gonna to face adversity and um, doubters. So you just got to prove them wrong. You mentioned the Ravens. How much does it mean to you that not only did they drafted you, but believed in you strongly enough to build an offense that suits your style of play, that they let you be you? It means a lot to me, you know, because you, some other organization might not change that. You know, they might just want to keep everything original. And I appreciate that from Steve Rashadi himself, you know, Mr. Ozzy, Eric, those guys, Coach Harbaugh, um, believing in me. So I, I just appreciate that. Are we past the point of with what you and Mahomes doing, Deshaun, Russell Wilson, the negative stereotypes of black quarterbacks, or do mm-hmm. you think there's still some of that going on? Oh, it's going to still be some of that going on, you know, but it, it's, it's dying down a lot, you know, because each and every Sunday or whenever any one of us play, you know, we we showing up and we, we put on the show. You know, we, we're not just out there just playing football and just doing anything. We out there winning games and I feel putting our team in best situations, you know. So um, I guess we, we change the narrative um, as we go on, just like the, the guys before us did. If you do win a Super Bowl or when you do win a Super Bowl, let me phrase it like that, mm-hmm. do you think that's going to end the criticism or are you still thinking you're going to hear some? Um, hopefully, I, I hope um, it ends, but I'm still fighting to get that. So when I get that, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> All right. As one of the faces of the NFL mm-hmm. and, you know, being a quarterback, a black quarterback, there's so many people looking at you. When you're done, other than being a winner, what do you want people to say about you and your career? He was one of the greatest ever. <laughs> I want to be known as one of the greatest, you know, forever member, because, you know, it's a lot of guys who was great throughout the league, you know, for years past. And some, some people forgot about those guys. So I just want to be remembered as one of the greats. Guy who won the Super Bowl, probably Super Bowls, you know, um, in, his, in his NFL professional career. I want to be one of those guys like Brady. Being drafted number 32, did that motivate you coming into the league or not? Oh, for sure. For sure, it did. It definitely did, you know, because I won Heisman in 2016. You know, um, it's a team effort. Don't get me wrong, it's a team effort, but, you know, I won it. And I pretty much had a better season than I did before. Probably just our team overall record because mm-hmm. we, we didn't dominate how we did the year before, you know. But we had a lot of key guys hurt um, my junior year, but I guess we was overlooked. Or my, my team was overlooked, so it just made me overlooked in the draft. And it was a lot of doubt going on when I declared. Um, after I declared, because before I declared, you know, they were saying I'd be a top five coming out, stuff like that. But, you know, it definitely motivated me, you know, going into the season. Like, it was guys getting drafted. I'm like, man, I heard about these guys while I was in college, but, you know, it's all good. You know, God had a better plan. So, I'm just thankful I'm in, I'm in Baltimore and, you know, we're doing what we're doing here. No question. I wouldn't change a thing about you, Lamar. So, thanks for doing this. Yes, sir. Thanks for coming on Black and NFL. Best of luck moving forward. I appreciate you, Mr. Cliff. My final guest is Lamar's personal quarterback coach, Joshua Harris, another South Florida native who has seen Jackson's impact on youngsters in the area where he grew up. Josh sees youngsters wearing the number eight jersey, many of them black, who idolize Jackson. Joshua, let me ask you this. Um, Can you talk about the impact that Lamar is having on kids playing youth football in South Florida? How much of an impact is Lamar having on them? One of the things I'll say about South Florida, um, you know, it's kind of like New York City basketball, um, you know, or, or any of those areas where you kind of think of this is what kids do. So I would say more Lamar is a byproduct of being from South Florida. We play football in South Florida. It's, it's kind of a young man's rite of passage. So every kid's playing. But when you see a Lamar who's so 
I want to say, I guess, genuinely, authentically a South Florida guy from his his dress, from his talk, from the way he carries himself. He's never tried to hide his South Florida roots. I think it empowers kids to be more individualistic and be themselves, not feeling that you have to get to a certain level and then have to change who you are or your game. When kids see Lamar playing in the NFL, having so much success with his style of play, do you think that's influencing them as well from a football standpoint? Yeah, I got I got two sides on it. I guess two points. Number one, I think Lamar's game is a game we see often in South Florida, but that has been told won't make it on the next level. And, um, you know, even going back to just what we've seen historically as as the African-American quarterback. Right. Uh, in South Florida, we have a lot of guys, maybe not as talented as Lamar, but who play a similar game who then feel like because they've been told this narrative that, hey, this won't work on the next level. And so they either change positions or they don't get a shot at quarterback. Um, I think when you're seeing Lamar with the success that he's having, I think more kids are believing that, hey, I can play this type of style, that this is real quarterbacking. But I also say, I, I see it, man, the narrative has become so strong that kids still kind of see Lamar as an anomaly. You know, they they still believe this thing of, how that a quarterback is supposed to play a certain way that the only legitimate quarterback yards are passing yards. And that is a little disheartening. So as a coach, how do you verbalize and coach kids who you feel are thinking what you just said that, Hey, at some point I'm going to have to change to play in the NFL because I can't do it this way. I've come up with this phrase that I'm using lately, but a yard is a yard. If that yard is through the air, if it's on the ground, it's still a yard. Your goal as a quarterback is to orchestrate your offense and get them to score. And that can be by any means necessary, right? And and I and I try to show young men that I know we hear this, you know, IQ and so forth, but it takes a lot of football IQ to know when to tuck it, when to run it, when to throw. That's the same intelligence it takes to break down a defense. It's the same type of intelligence. When to pull, or if you're doing a zone read, when to pull it, when to go. That's the same brain power and skill that we praise a Tom Brady and a Drew Brees for in the traditional role of quarterbacking. And so what I try to tell these young men is you play the game that you're familiar with. You get as good as you can at that game. And what we're seeing now is the game on the highest level is changing. And coaches are appreciating that, that they understand the mental makeup and the mental dexterity it takes to know when to make the right decision, when to pass or run. It's about decision making, not so necessarily do you have the skill set to sit in the pocket and and read the defense and get to your fifth check down, because most people aren't doing that anyway. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but you have a son who plays quarterback, and obviously you're Lamar's personal quarterback coach. Can you talk a little bit about the relationship they have and the impact that Lamar has on him? Honestly, that's probably my favorite part of all of this is that, number one, as my son coming up as a kid, he was a fan of Lamar Jackson, right? And then, you know, I trained Lamar, and I I always I tell the story to some people. Lamar was like, 
you know, my son's name, his nickname is Champ. He said, who's his favorite player? And I'm like, you, dummy, what do you mean? He loves you. <laughs> He's like, what? And so, but I think that's the nature of the relationship. It's a big brother, little brother role, right? They train together. A lot of times, Lamar, first when he gets out there here, he's like, where's Champ? Because Champ pushes him, right? Champ throws a good ball. Lamar say, man, good ball. I got to get better than that. And then, so they push each other because Lamar's so genuine. And uh, my son just started, he's a sophomore and he, um, he took over as the varsity starter the last two games of the season. So I'll text Lamar and I said, Hey man, champ got his first start. First thing he said, man, send me the film coach. And he, you know, he got the film. He said, Oh man, what college is my boy going to? He was just so excited. So he gives him advice. Uh, right now, my son has a, uh, he drew it himself with a marker on the wall, but it's like win a state championship. Why? Because Lamar said, Hey man, I didn't win a state championship. So you got to win one for the both of us. So Lamar is a big brother, but he's also like this, this, this standard to achieve. And I'm so forever grateful for the relationship he has with my son. With this current range of black quarterbacks coming into the league, young black quarterback, how important is it that Lamar Mahomes, Russell Wilson, to mention three, are not only great players, but they have great character. It's immensely important because whatever you want to say, as a minority and as even in that position, we're still a minority at the statistics of the position, they're going to be looked at with a microscope. They have a smaller margin of error. And for all those years and decades where people said, you know, because really the quarterback position is the leadership position. Right. And, and 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 I believe that the the doubts of the black quarterback was more we had such historically do we want to have an African American man leading a, a a team or being the face of a billion dollar corporation. And so I think with these young men not only being ballers but being wonderful men of character is starting to change the 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 mindset of people that know an African American male can be the face of a franchise. He can be the leader of men. And also you can trust him in your community and everywhere else. So I think it's, it's huge. It's immensely important for them and the next generation and just for people to start to get used to seeing African-American quarterbacks. How long ago would we have seen this wave of black quarterbacks, if not for racism? Yeah. I mean, there, I, what else can you say? You know, it's just a belief that has been passed down for decades. And even if people may not have seen it, it, it was there subconsciously. It's just the belief. If you don't see it, you don't think it. And because of things put in place and narratives uh, put apart that were birthed out of racism. And I'm not saying that, you know, executives and so forth have been racist over the last few decades. But I believe it's birthed out of racism where there weren't opportunities and people go with what they know. And what people know is, let me see the tall Blonde hair, blue eyed, you know, suburban, all American quarterback who happens to be white. And they had, they weren't used to seeing a black man play that position. Do you remember during the 2018 NFL draft what you were thinking when it looked like Lamar was going to fall all the way out of the first round until the Ravens grabbed him at number 32? Yes. And you, I'll never forget it. You, and people may not believe me. I was the optimist at the table. <laughs> so <laughs> going into it now, I, I, I just, you know, after all the conversations, man, I felt like the Ravens was the best organization for him. You know, just, I felt like they had a good understanding of who he was. So I was rooting for the Ravens. 
when, you know, in the middle round, they traded back, traded down, right? I was like, okay. And this is what I was telling him. I said, all right, the teams here don't need a quarterback. So the Ravens are being smart and they can save some money. That's the business part of it, right? Then they drafted Hayden Hurst. And I was like, oh, I I sound like an idiot. (laughs) You know what I mean? Because they went with Hurst. So then I remember um, New England was there towards the second to last pick. You know, they had good conversations. So I was like, okay, maybe New England. But then I remember, you know, Lamar was starting to be like, dang, man. You know, and we had only came. We were prepared there for just that day. And then I started telling him one of the things that the NFL franchises do is that a team will trade back into that last spot to secure that fifth year for a quarterback. And so I told him and his mother that, and that was kind of the only optimistic string we were hanging on to. And I'll never forget how, how close it is because we're sitting there and we're one of the last people on the table. And Darius Geis from LSU, his party was at a table in the catacorner and their phone rings. And basically when you're in the groom room and the phone rings, that's the team. Right. And so it looks like it's over. And they're celebrating, you know, because all the family who's not on the phone is like, oh, if the phone rings, it's it. And so we're like, oh, man, I'm like, dang. And I'm, I'm kind of like, OK, I've been the one preaching this optimism. What am I going to say now, now that it's over and we didn't get drafted? Like, is this real? And then the phone rings and nobody's answering it. And I had to hit him. I said, man, answer the phone. <laughs> like, we were all just shocked. And even Lamar's mother said, yeah, you know, Coach Josh, he just forgot for us. Right? I'm just like, man, answer the phone. So he picks it up. And they were all like, who is it? Who is it? And then it was the Ravens. So, yes, I'll never forget that moment because, man, it looked like it was going down. And I had to be optimistic. And then it, it came, man. What a great moment. How much did it help Lamar to have someone like his mother in his corner growing up? who wasn't going to let any coach get away with switching him to a different position. I think it's everything. You know, even, even when I talked to him, he'd tell me, because I wasn't in his life when he was a child, but he'll say, I didn't really like football. <laughs> you know, he says, hey, my dad would make me sit down and watch it, but I didn't really enjoy it. You know, and then his father passed. But, and then he'll, he'll tell the story, man, my mother would put us in the backyard and tackle us. My mother would make me run. His mother bought a big tire so they could hit it like, you know, like she was the driving force. And so I think that's why he gives her honor. And she would like and we've heard the stories, you know, when people try to move his position, it's almost like she had antennas up. Wait, what? And she would shut all of that down uh, all the way up to college. So I think, man, that is that's crucial to the story of him staying the course and being what we're seeing now. Now, obviously, in his position, Lamar has to answer so many questions. And he's kind of carrying the torch along with these other black quarterbacks of, of the new era of black quarterbacks. Do you feel he feels pressure in any way along those veins? Because he's a lot of times he doesn't really seem, you know, real eager to talk about that aspect of his journey. Yeah, I, I think he's aware of what he is and his place. Right. But then mm-hmm. again, I don't think he feels pressure because I do think and I think this is with probably with most elite athletes. He knows what he can do and he's just trying to go out and play ball. Right. And I, I don't think he's focused on the the societal aspect of it. But is he aware of who he is and sticking to his identity? Of course. But I do not think he feels pressure to be something. You know, he wants to be himself. 
and he knows who he is, a young black man from South Florida in a dreamlike situation. And I think he honors that in everything he does, his preparation, how he lives off his life. But I don't think there's any pressure. And he's has mentioned a couple of times that, you know, he saw so many talented kids growing up. Some of them never made out a neighborhood. Do you feel like maybe not only during his career, but after his career, he's going to try to help more kids to find success, whether it's in athletics or something else from the place where he grew up? I don't have to even think. I know he is. Um, that's been on his mind and his mother's mind from the very beginning of this process uh, when they saw that, you know, the NFL was there. And I'll, I'll give you an example. Number one, uh, right now, his Forever Dreamers organization is holding seven on seven tryouts in his neighborhood. Everything is paid for for kids in his neighborhood. And they'll be able to travel and do seven on seven tournaments. And it's held at the park where he played youth football. So that's and he did that last year. He's doing it again. Uh, so that's one thing. And I think the biggest thing was it's been written about uh, the organization that we train. You know, when it started, it was it was Coach Van Warren and Lamar's mother, uh, Felicia Jones, and they would train on Sundays um, at the park where he played youth football. Every Sunday for about three or four hours, they would train, and any kids were invited. Well, when Lamar went off to college, what Felicia and Van said was, hey, we got to keep this going for the next generation. So even since Lamar has been in college, every Sunday in Pompano Beach at McNair Park, you can find Coach Warren and Felicia until they moved to Baltimore and me now, you can find a Sunday training the next generation and just teaching them. And they always say this. Lamar says it too. There were a lot of talented kids out here. Lamar just kept working, you know? And so that's the mantra to the kids. So yes, I know he'll do it and he's doing it now, trying to inspire and give us support to the next generation. And lastly, I just, this hit me. At his youth park that he played at, they have an MVP trophy, and it is the Lamar Jackson trophy that they give to the kid who was the best player on the team. Uh, it's named after him. And when he's in town, he actually signs it and takes a picture with the kids. So still inspiring them. It's not lost on me that I began my sports writing career covering a talented young black quarterback, Derek Crudup, whose path to becoming an NFL quarterback was sidetracked by race before it even began. Now I'm near the end of my career covering Lamar Jackson, a young black quarterback who so joyfully plays a position in the NFL with a style all his own. Lamar has an undeniable charisma that attracts people from all races, and he's playing for a team that had the foresight to redesign his offense to accentuate his unique skill set. The Ravens had three black quarterbacks take regular season snaps last season. Lamar, Robert Griffin III, and Tyler Huntley. I view that as progress. The racism endured by Warren Moon and some of the NFL's earliest starting black quarterbacks like Marlon Briscoe, James Shaq Harris, and others was not for naught. All a great quarterback wants is the ball in his hands with enough time left on the clock. For the young black quarterbacks you're seeing today, their time is down. 
Join us for the next episode of Black in the NFL. It will be the season finale in which we will look back on the past year and the progress made or lack thereof and look ahead to the long-term vision when it comes to race in the NFL. I will be joined by two of the most powerful black men in the NFL, NFLPA Executive Director DeBerry Smith and NFL Executive Vice President of Football Operations, Troy Vincent, among others. Black in the NFL is powered by Blue Wire. The show is produced and edited by Noah Eberhardt and executive produced by Michelle Andres, Ryan Mink, John Yales, and Peter Moses. Tune into the Ravens Podcast Network for two other podcasts, The Lounge, hosted by Garrett Downing and Ryan Mink, and What Happened to That Guy, hosted by John Eisenberg. Thanks to all my guests, and join us for the next episode of Black in the NFL. Until then, be blessed, and thanks for listening.